Número 11. This is the 1-1. One, one. Episode 11. You know, every episode that I open up, it always seems like I'm like, we're going to introduce the next awesome person in here. And then it's like, well, how do you build up the next person? I mean, I know my job is the hype guy. I know that I'm supposed to be sitting here trying to hype the situation up. But today we're about to get into something that affects every single person that's listening to this podcast. And it hypes me up because I know that there's some people that are in this uh, occupation that have their head not only on a swivel, but they have their head on right. And today I'm just so excited to be able to introduce not only the co-host for today, which is the one and only the uh, cultured palate himself, Danny. Hi, Danny. Hello. It's It's been a while. It's been a few weeks. Yeah, yeah I know. And there's been some people that have been asking. They're like, is Danny going to make an I've appearance? I've been again? relegated to the basement, I think. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I thought it was a closet, but whatever. It, 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 no, 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 no. Oh, sorry. Sammy Swamy Samson out been again. Been out of the closet like, for a long time. <laughs> That's where my skeletons stay. So if, if, if you had to think about a conversation about what's happening in society today, do you think that this this podcast ties us well into kind of what's happening? I think it does. I think it's um, it really gets to the heart of it, to be honest, because when we get into this, you know, we uh, it, it just it touches every aspect of everything that we're dealing with as a country right now and what's going on with um, unfortunately politics are a big part of it. But um, just the the day to day of people going through life thinking that some of the bad guys are good guys and some of the good guys are bad guys. And, and I think it's important to start really drawing a, a, a hard line as to, Hey, if you, if you have a feeling as to who's bad and who's good and who's doing the right thing and, and you're drawing that only from the news, you know, whatever news you watch, but if it, your only information is from the news, um, you can pretty much bet on the fact that, you have a skewed look on what's going on. So I think this is going to be a good opportunity to hear straight from the horse's mouth. You just called our guest a horse. Well, I'm offended by that. Actually, it's you're a millennial. You're easily offended. We didn't get to introduce you yet. You just piped down over there. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't, we Jeez. haven't let the cat out of the bag. What so, going but, on? Uh, <laughs> but I, I, like I said, I think that, I think it's good to hear, hear it from directly from the source and get a really good feel and an honest, an honest story about what's going on out there in the streets. Absolutely. And the, and the thing too, is that you really wanted to say horse's mouth again. I felt, yeah. I felt it yeah. like it was, <laughs> I was like, Oh, just let it go. But he didn't do it. Nice shot shooter. So without further ado, I think that hypes us up enough because I've got, I mean, I've got a ton of questions that I want to ask, but at the same, at the same side, we've got officer Austin here. He's an active Metro police officer. Uh, last night we were on the phone kind of going through what we were going to talk about. And you are an officer in a large city and, uh, and we're going to get into your background, but Hey, thanks for being out here in the middle. Thanks for having me. No, man, it's, it's awesome. If, if, if you were to sum up what your job looks like in two sentences, what do you tell people you're, I mean, cause you can go ahead and say that you're a police officer, but what is, what, what do you, what do you do? What is a police officer? Well, that's, uh, that can be answered a couple different ways, but, um, pretty much my daily job is I go out, I'm assigned a patrol. So our patrol division is any 911 call. You basically call 911. It could be from, you know, grandmother is not feeling well this morning, you know, so paramedics to, you know, and, and the police to come check on her, do a welfare check to, you know, the most heinous of crimes, you know, violent crime. You name it. So 
from the morning and as soon as I hit the street, that's pretty much what I deal with on a daily basis. You know, taking those 911 calls, addressing any kind of issues that we see out on the street as well. And so just just for that, too, we want to make sure that we're being transparent in the fact that that with this crazy time in our life, we want to do everything in our power to make sure that you feel protected from us and that we're not exposing you or, or your family to to some people that wish to bring police officers harm. But before we get into what's happening today and what you're dealing with today, what made you turn to the force? When 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 we first contacted each other, you were a sheriff. Um, but what got you into law enforcement? Um, it's kind of weird. Um, guns? I like guns. Okay. Guns are cool. Um, <laughs> and I say it's a, it's a perk uh, to learn how to, all the cool things you get to do with them and just learning about them in general. But um, I think, you know, and it sounds kind of cheesy. Everybody just call it the Bible answer, but it, it in, in all honesty, it's just uh, that urge to just want to have something that means something. You know, you go to, you go to work, you wake up, or you wake up first, obviously. You wake up, you go to Some work. Some people don't. You, you yeah. don't. Yeah. Sometimes you just go to work and then you wake up. Or you just don't wake up. That's you true. Know, you just are awake all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have an urge to want to want to help do something good for humanity, be a good person, do something that's uh, that's meaningful. Um, I know I didn't want to have a job or a profession or a career that I just went to work just to just to make a dollar, you know. So I think that was a big thing that drew me to law enforcement was I want something. One, I could take care of my family. You got to make a living but something that you can actually be beneficial and be used, you know, for the good. So it's kind of a simple Did you answer, go to, did you go to college? I did. Where'd you go to school? Well, you don't even have to answer that. You don't want to. <laughs> no, I went to, I went to a school in West Texas. Okay. Uh, so actually not, not too far from here. So you went to school in West Texas and then, and then um, when you graduated, did you go straight into law enforcement? No. Actually, I rented cars. I worked for a rental car agency for a couple of years. All right. Kind of weird. You know, everybody needs that first job out of college. That was my first job. I worked for Enterprise. Enterprise. Of course. It will pick you up. Yeah. They still do. And they do a great job of hiring guys <laughs> right out of college and, and gals out of college. That's and- kind of their, their go-to is they pick people that have college degrees and kind of to build the, the business profession. Side. Well, for a back background going into law enforcement, I mean, that's honestly going to teach you a lot of uh, yeah. patience. <laughs> Customer service skills. Yeah. Um, I think that's where I, I gained just learning how to talk to people that are angry all the time. Right. Right. Generally what I deal with now. So. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. That's, that's got to take a whole lot of so, patience. So you were you renting cars when you decided you wanted to be an officer? So I was actually trying to become a firefighter, believe it or not. Oh gosh. You're, you're a fireman now. That's yeah. Pretty, that's pretty scary. It is a scary. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make sure to call somebody else, but thank you. I, I trust you, but just, you know, well, this is an ego stroke, isn't it? <clears throat> wow. <laughs> Thanks for having me, by the way. Hey, yeah, sure. And that's you. all we have for out here in the middle. <laughs> so, so you wanted to be a fireman, right? You've got the physique for what is the deal here? Let's talk about physique for a minute because we had Mason here the week before we had Christian and them. No, no offense to Jeff Woody. Me and him are about built the same, you know, we're, we're pretty ripped, but uh, all of our guests lately just are in good shape. Intern Sarah is always just like, who's next on the podcast? Can I say that's, that, that's the alfalfa? There must be something out here in the alfalfa. That's right. That's, that, that keeps us fluffy and soft. That's right. All right. Anyway, so so you wanted to be a firefighter. Correct. What happened? Uh, so I tried for two years, and it was right when the economy was really bad. I think it was back in 20, uh, 2009, between 2009 and 2011. 
economy started to take a hit. Uh, you had people with PhDs trying to be firemen, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the two years I put in, there was 500 applicants for 15, 20 spots in their academy. So I didn't get in those two years. I tried and law enforcement was never something I considered, honestly. It wasn't something I was like, and I want to be a cop when I grew up, you know. Uh, my dad was, my dad worked in law enforcement. He was probation officer for 20 years, retired out of it. Um, which is something I'm like, that's cool. You can do it. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so firefighters right up. Everybody likes firemen, right? Those are the guys that could save the day. They're just, they're cool. Unless you're in pain and people don't like you. Yeah. But sure. yeah, I got you. They'll hate you then, but then they'll love you later. Cause that's true. Take care of them. But, mm-hmm. So uh, that didn't happen. Didn't pan out. Uh, I had a buddy of mine that was a sheriff's deputy and he's like, Hey, just, just put in dude, you know, what's, what's it going to hurt? I'm like, Oh, you're crazy. So I went on a ride along with him that ride along kind of, kind of hook line the sinker. I was like, this is kind of cool. Get to kind of drive fast. And he's like, well, <laughs> there's more to it. You know, you actually have to do, do work. Um, so that kind of drew me in. I kind of just put in on a whim. I didn't really think I was even going to get hired and, Yes, here I am now. <laughs> so, so you started off with the sheriff's department in Correct. that county. Correct. And walk us through the training program. Uh, man, it feels, I mean, it's been about nine years now, but um, probably the most intense, I mean, just all in all, more training than I've ever received in my, my whole life, like all slam packed in an academy. Um, I mean, you got to learn how to, <laughs> you learn how to take care of yourself physically, you know, you're not physically fit they'll make you fit <laughs> so it's it's a it's paramilitary based um you, you do pt every day um there's different segments at the academy where you're you know three or four weeks you're doing firearms you know defensive tactics uh learning law which is pretty much the entire academy um i mean it's kind of a more or less of a breakdown of it and it's there's a lot more to it but so as you were as you were getting into <laughs> into the academy and you were seeing, I mean, so everybody's in relatively young. Some. Okay. <laughs> we had a couple that were older. I don't want to offend anybody. So. Right. That's okay. We, you, you can smile and offend somebody today. Uh, so we had a couple that, you know, uh, I think we had a guy that did, you know, 20, 25 years in the military retired. He's he was 40 something years old. He's probably better in shape than anybody, any of us. Um, he went through an entire academy and smoked a pack of cigarettes in between every run. <laughs> And smoked us all on runs. So, I mean, what does that tell you? Right. It's okay to smoke and you can still work out and be in fit, you know, be in shape. But I, I don't suggest that. I wouldn't do it. But um, so we had some old, it was kind of a good mix. Anywhere from, we had some young bucks, you know, barely, these kids are fresh out of high school, almost feels like 20, 21 years old to 42, 43 years old. So I was kind of right in that middle. I was like 24 when I started. So, so when we go, when we're called out on, the bulk majority of our fire calls right now are usually pretty nasty car wrecks on that highway that you came in on. And, uh, and so a lot of the Texas state troopers that are in West Texas are their, are the rookie guys because it's kind of calm for the most part. And it gives them a chance to kind of get their, their boots wet, you know, but it's, it's amazing to see, you know, for me, I still don't think that I'm that old, but at the same time walking onto a scene and seeing one of these, you know, a 22 year old fresh out of the Academy. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys walk in with an attitude that I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like it, you get put in check pretty quick for the first person you pull over. That's been through it. It's either done time in prison or they're just all out Patriot and they're going to put you in your place. Cause you don't know what you're talking about. 
<laughs> right. So, so you you've got to be you've got to be sure. And and for us too, I mean it's I mean yeah. it's there's a big sense of pride when we yeah. have to do an investigation with these guys where we're working together to save somebody's life in right. one of these accidents. And so so you go how how long did you stay with the sheriff's office? Uh, I was there about five and a half years. Five and a half years. What made you go into Metro? So I wanted to go to the city police. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of reasons, but um, I, I just, there was a better opportunity there. Um, not just for promotion, but just uh, you go, I think every, every cop goes into law enforcement. We see the, you know, the thin blue line, you see the brotherhood and I'd say it's not always there. And it's not necessarily just the department's fault. It's just, it's, you know, when you're working in the county, you don't have officers left and right next to you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you're going to calls by yourself and having to deal with that aspect of it. So you kind of kind of learn how to take care of yourself. So I kind of wanted more of that, kind of wanted more of the brotherhood, uh, the high pace call volume. You know, mm-hmm. so that was a big thing that drew me in and just the opportunity just to do something different. So eight years now, nine years, nine years, nine years. And as as you are starting to see this change in America and the change in our heart as a country. Um, how does that, how do you stay musically up uh, musically? That would be mentally <laughs> take six. Uh, that would be, you know, how do you mentally keep yourself sharp? How do you wake up in the morning knowing that there's so much going on in this world? Let's, and let's, let's do this in two parts. Let's say before we've had this call out hatred for what your occupation is, you know, what still kept you sharp and what kind of training are you still doing to make sure that you're mentally ready to go? So, yeah, I mean, the department has has training you're, you're required to do by uh, per, you know, New Mexico law enforcement. You have to you require a certain amount of hours every year, every two years to keep up with your certification. So, I mean, your mandatory training, obviously, you're going to have to do that regardless. Um, aside from that, just I try to go to as many outside trainings as I can, you know, with different federal agencies, uh, even just just different trainings with different companies that think law enforcement can be benefit, you know, benefited from taking their training. Um, Would you say that's a bulk of people that you work with or are you an exception? <laughs> no, no, no. I, it, the, so the, the required training is everybody. But I'm saying like you, you're, you're looking at outside the box stuff too. I'd say it's a, a lot of officers go to outside trainings. I mean, it could be anything from, you know, advanced handgun techniques to, you know, like learn how to be better at dealing with the mentally ill, you know, stuff that's just, I think now they're making it more required, um, which is good. Yeah. Um, but I would say, I, th- I think my biggest thing is I, I tied to two things. My biggest thing I'd say is probably, I, for my faith in, in God, uh, I think that if I didn't have those roots tied down deep, I'd be a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, I mean, first and foremost, that's, that's my biggest thing. Um, if I didn't believe there was something more than what we deal with every day, I think it would be, I mean, you're going to work for what, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and then, you know, I mean, you met, you know, my family. So, I mean, my family is a big thing that's kept me grounded I know that when I come home at the end of the day, even though it's a tough day, like I know they're there. Right. They're always going to be there, <laughs> but you have to you have to make that conscious decision too to come home and kind of take the vest off and put, put work aside. So it's, 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 it's kind of a tough, it's a tough thing to do, but. And as, as, as you're looking at this and, and 
this is really a personal question, but what is a starting, I mean, what's the base salary for a police officer? That's got me red handed. I'm trying to figure that out myself. Um, I'd say in New Mexico, it's not, I mean, depending on the size of the agency, but just a rough average, if I had to just throw it out there, I mean, fresh out the Academy, these, these, these guys are probably starting at 15, 16 bucks an hour. I mean, you get full benefits, but let's not play games now with the, with our health insurance continuing going up for everybody, right? including law enforcement, and government agencies. I mean, these guys are, they're not taking home as much as their hourly. So it's like, So, so we're now at a point in where people are screaming, we need to defund the police, except that New Mexico's minimum wage is fast track to go to $15 an hour already. So you want somebody that's going to have all of the training, the mental capability, the physical capability to be able to understand how to deescalate a very escalated situation, save somebody's life, rescue grandma's cat at the same time as, as go home and be a family man. And you're going to pay a minimum wage. Yeah. But we're going to defund the police. I'm sorry. I'm having a problem with that whole statement right now. Yeah. At the same time, how in the hell are you sitting here today saying, God, I'm proud to be a police officer. It's tough. Um, This last year has been, I mean, I I think for everybody, I I try not to be, I think the best way to say, I I try not to be selfish in my thinking. Um, Everybody's going through a tough time with COVID, just all the stuff going on in our country, in our world. I think that you have to kind of put your own problems aside. Realize this is a this is a society issue. This is not just a police issue. It's not just an American issue. It's all across society. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of helped me. You got to go to work and know, still believe in what you do. Yeah, this is the biggest thing. There, there is a little bit of you know some parallels there between farming and and. Yeah. And being a police officer at the same time, you know, I I don't actively have bullets flying across the hood of my car at me, but, and it seems this podcast is kind of awesome. in the fact that we didn't even get in the kiddie pool, like it's like, let's just jump in and start talking about the main, let's (laughs) get to the meat and the potatoes right now. Well, I mean, talking to Austin before we, um, before we got started here, I, he, he pulled up and he's, he told me I'm, he's going on about four hours of sleep right now because he had to spend uh, most of the night doing some off-duty work. And I'm very familiar with this with some of our businesses. We always will hire police officers uh, in uniform to, right. to help with security for whatever whatever's going on. So how, how does that work? Um, so, I mean, it's obviously it's depending upon the agency, but uh, if your department allows it, you're, you're allowed to go work off-duty employment. You're allowed to work off duty employment to, you know, make more money, supplement your income a little bit, help you out. Right. Um, the fact that you have to do that is it tells a little bit of a story, though, right? Because like Jay just mentioned, all of the responsibility that a police officer has and all of the pressure put on the police officer to make the right decision every single time. Never make a mistake, because if you make a mistake, it's going to be on the news that afternoon. But Along with that, they expect you to live, raise your family, um, do all the things that you need to do as a as a father and as a professional officer, and they want you to do it on minimum wage. And then they expect you to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed every day when you come to work. And But they know very well that in order to do what you need to do, you have to have another job. Yeah. So 40 hours a week is just, that's just minimum. Uh, and and part of that's 
in some way or another. Some guys would say it's by choice. Um, some people live different lifestyles. Um, I always know that I like, I don't want, I want to live in a neighborhood that's, I don't have to live in Beverly Hills. There's not one that exists in my town anyways, but I don't have to live in the most lavish house, but something that's safe for my family. Um, and I can drive an old clunker only gets me point a, point B. I'm good with that. I'd always much rather have a house than a car, but part of it is, is wanting to, we go and deal with the worst, of the worst, obviously. But so part of you, I think it's internal. You don't want to live like that as well. So we strive to not be in that situation. But mm-hmm. the other part is we just want, we want better, you know, we want better for not only the community we serve, but the people that we are closest to our family. Is it, so, is it true too, that you have to buy your gear? Some places you do. When I started out at my first agency, I had to buy my Sam Brown, you know, a couple things. What's that? What's Sam it's Brown? Your, it's your belt, your duty belt. Okay. What's a duty belt cost? Uh, when I bought everything, I think I spent like close to 300 bucks. So going from working, renting cars and trying to pay all my bills with that income to, Hey, you know, you can go through our Academy. You're not guaranteed to get the job, even make it through the Academy, but you got to buy the belt and, you know, along with other gear. But do you get paid during the Academy? You, you do. Okay. So there's, a, there. yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, you talk about minimum wage, if minimum wage is at 15 bucks, it was right around there. Um, the, the problem is, is, so the first year I started, it was the first year they were going to get rid of uh, health benefits for their cadets because they were just losing too many of them. So it was a risk to them. Um, so I left a job with full benefits. I had a family, had one kid and then we ended up getting pregnant through that process. As you well. all slide double you. Yeah. So now I have three. Right. <laughs> and, and he's getting three hours of sleep a night. That's yeah. Not, yeah. Not every night. Yeah, last You're night, an last animal. night was rough, but, um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's a, that's a struggle, um, to have to leave a job with full benefits with no guarantee. And, and, and I almost, I had to make that decision. It was kind of a weird, what was your wife saying this whole entire time too? go ahead, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, obviously we talked, we talked about it and it was just kind of like, you know, we prayed about it and we felt like, you know, what, if, if, if nothing is leading you away from it, like she wanted me to do something that I'm going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Not something I'm going to go to work and change careers 15 times and just mosey around life, you know, until I, I don't know, made some money somewhere and got rich. So, <laughs> so now that you're, you know, you've been in there and you've, you've seen the, the tops and you've seen the definite bottoms of, of how these things go. What, what do you think about reform in police today? So let's, let's go ahead and separate the, the monetary issue of this out. But are there things that you think that the departments need to start looking at and implementing to create some change in the way that people react and interact with police departments? Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, you could probably be a little bit more open to letting the public see what we actually do. I think that we probably could do a better job of that. And it's like, hey, come fill out a ride along form. You can ride along if you want to. I think we kind of. I need to do that. You do? Let me know. I need to come do a ride along. <laughs> it's um Do I get a badge? Uh, I'll give you a, a little sticker. Like okay. The yeah. The kitty <laughs> sticker and some wings. Easy. <laughs> I don't trust you with the real one. <laughs> um so I think we could be more transparent as at law enforcement in general, just generally speaking, I think that I mean this is tough. I'm a little biased obviously towards law enforcement, so I don't wanna get some myself. Bad. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're in that to win that. Yeah. <laughs> but I I do understand that. Uh, there's issues that 
in every profession that could be better. Um, I think we could be more transparent just as people. Um, I think that right now officers are, are having a hard time being transparent because they're scared. Everything you say is criticized. Everything you, I mean, you could be off duty and just someone see you, I don't know, commit a minor traffic violation. They know you're a cop. Next thing you're getting a complaint. I'm not saying it's okay to break the law for your cop, but right. That, but it's, it's stuff like that, that people really look at you in a different scale. So you have to be really careful in what you do. Yeah. I think I, I I've had a conversation. In fact, I've had a conversation with one of my kids that uh, after the whole George Floyd deal and kind of getting through this whole situation and how that, um, how that precipitated and how people started reacting to, well, that's how every police person, every policeman, every policewoman, they're all, they're all bad. You know, they threw them all into a bucket and said, this is a problem across the country. That happens in agriculture. Yeah. Well, it happens to, it happens and everything. But this particular situation, uh, I feel like uh, there is a higher. Sorry, I um, spilled on myself. That's it. You're full? Yeah. You got, yeah. I was trying to stay hydrated and try and quit. Um, <laughs> but there is a, uh, there's like a higher expectation, right? From a police officer. It's kind of like when, when I was growing up and I'm a little bit older than you guys, but there was certain people in the community that were always regarded to like, you know, be flawless. You know, a doctor was always, you know, there was automatic respect and, you know, it was like, oh, they're, you know, their doctors are. What's well, because people know, like with a doctor, you know, the training that they've had to go through to become a doctor. Right. And, and they make mistakes. Right. In fact, doctors make mistakes fairly often. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not giving doctors a hard time, but let's be real. We're getting they, a plastic surgeon in here in a couple of weeks. We'll see what mistakes look like. Okay. I want to hear that one. So, so the expectation just seems to be sometimes, and this is what I tried to relay to my, to, to one of my kids is that, uh, we have to be realistic in what we expect from not only police, but everybody. And across the board, there are going to be bad apples, right? I think you would admit, and and I'll ask you, I mean, straight out, you have some bad apples in the police force, right? Every, every profession has it, unfortunately. Exactly. Because we're all human. Right. I mean, you go from the, you can go from the churches to Capitol Hill, to police forces, to the hospitals. You're going to have people who are just bad apples for whatever reason. But we're at a point of of being hypersensitive in the fact that it's easy to find one bad apple in, in police, you know, in a police force. And all of a sudden, the reaction, I think, is the biggest thing is because, one, the videos that these people are now taking. So you're it's no longer you just pulling over a vehicle and doing a routine stop. Now there's cameras involved on you and on them. And so people are always, you know, wanting to question your authority. Right. And so now that we're hypersensitive and we're talking about one bad apple in the, in the barrel, I mean, how, how do you think that we get past this situation? I think, I mean, I think, I think there needs to be an educational side from it too, from just, um, I mean, our, our, to our government, our legislature, um, each other, you know, and we get real caught up, like you said, seeing one video. And I think that's what, I, mean, I don't know, media's killed it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say it. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, do you feel like a concerted say. effort? I mean, I look at it from, from the outside looking in, but I see a concerted effort to really dilute the authority of the police, if not get rid of it altogether. Right. Where you hear in certain cities where it's like, we want them all gone. Uh, not only do we want them gone, we don't want help from anybody else from the outside. I mean, right. uh, Albuquerque just made an announcement what yesterday saying, uh, we, you know, 
we can handle this. We don't have any issues. Right. I think I think they do have some issues, but um, they they just don't want the outside help. And it, it seems to me that that it, it doesn't make any sense, right? right? So you almost have to look at it as like, well, what is the what is the attitude, or why wouldn't you want the help? And do you have a feeling on why would a city be perfectly fine with the Let's just take Chicago. It's perfectly, you know, everybody's familiar with with the situation in Chicago. I don't know if people really are, you know, because the, the one thing, too, is this audience is coming from two extremes. And we've got yeah. a lot of people that are reaching out that are listening to this that are inner city people now because they want to know a little bit about agriculture. But at the same time, they want a non-biased opinion of what's going on. So Chicago is, in some sense, a war zone in some spots. I mean, if you look, yeah. at, look, look at murders right now, they are skyrocketing. This is not a biased opinion. This is factual information. And we're seeing that that in large metropolitan areas, that the violent crime is escalating at a rapid pace. So so from a police officer's point of view, when you see that and you know that and you guys see it firsthand, right? you get the news before the news. So when you wake up the next day and you listen to a uh, a governor or a mayor or a city manager say, no, we're really OK. This is all just um, peaceful protesters. There's nothing wrong here. Um, we don't need any outside help, and our police are doing the best they can. But in some cases, they're in in the same sentence. They are kind of minimizing the police and saying, you know, we're still looking at defunding and retraining and all of these things. How? How? What does that do to the morale of a, of an entire force? I mean, are you seeing that already? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, even the last year, just I mean, even before everything happened in in Minnesota, like morale has been it's been an issue since I became a police officer. It's you know, it goes up and down. It's a roller coaster. Certain things that happen in government, some things that happen in your community that create that kind of like that riff. So I think I think what I always go back to, and this is me personally, I think that it's important to understand there's some stuff you can't control. Um, there's legis- pieces of legislation that I can't literally do anything about. There's pieces that I can be influenced, but I have to be careful. But I try to just every every contact I have on the street, I try to make it a positive one. I think that's a big thing for me. And I would say that for a majority of officers, that's that's what they go out and do. They don't we aren't just out there to be rude and just I'm going to write you a ticket. I don't care about your, about your opinion. I'm doing my job like that may be how it comes across. But all in all, like we're trying to. <laughs> We're trying to do something that's that's good for the community and keeping it safe. Right. This podcast is sponsored by Chaffee. Chaffee is a premium alfalfa product that's grown in the shadows of the Guadalupe Mountains. Our unique climate allows us to have cool nights, warm days, and allows us to have a consistent growing season to make sure that we have the best quality forage product on the market. If you want to know more about Chaffee and what its uh, beneficial use for your farm or ranch could be, Check out chaffe.com. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at chaffe. So I wanted to talk about quotas and, and it seems like to me, you know, cause everybody has, everybody has that inside info Intel about what's happening in a department and we'll make sure you're not speeding on the 15th because it's quota day and they're going to make sure that they're writing a bunch of extra tickets that day. Is that true? So I can only speak for the departments I work for. I don't know how other agencies work, but 
So generally, uh, there are there are uh, projects that are worked that are federally funded. Uh, that basically the federal government gives money to you know it could be through it, it could be even through the state government you know um, Department of Transportation something like that um, that they want you to go out there and write uh, traffic tickets. So for those projects specifically, there is there's specifically uh, an amount of work they want you to do. I don't even want to say a number. Mm-hmm. You can't go out there and make money and not do anything. Right. I guess that's an easier way to say it. Um, but generally on the street, there's not. What the supervisors generally have want and what I've seen is that they just want to see you're being productive. Right. Uh, if you're sitting in a cop car for 10, 12 hours a day for your shift and you're not picking up calls, you're not going out and making contacts with the public, um, what are you doing? Right. Do you like donuts? Obviously not. I knew that question was coming, actually. <laughs> you know who else likes donuts, Jay? Me. Everyone. A lot. Yeah. Oh, they're delicious. They are delicious. <laughs> a little fried I do, I do like donuts, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. It, you know, we see officers that are obviously, you know, I've been pulled over a couple of times and I'm like, if it got to a foot race and there was a bear chasing us, like <laughs> I'm not getting eaten today and I'm not very fast. What, what is the story behind guys that have been on the force for a long time that are just not physically fit anymore? And how is that possible? Honestly, it's complacency. I mean, some guys probably weren't fit before they started the academy and even after the academy, they weren't that fit. They just were for that small time period. And that's not a knock on them. It's just How they has different body types. Right. Um, I think start embracing my body type more. Yeah. But part of the problem is that there's no, there's no requirement beyond what's on yourself and what your physical ability is yourself. As long as you can qualify with your, your duty weapon and pass all the required training, which there's not really a physical fitness training that's required every year for, for our department. It's kind of disheartening, right? Yeah, you would th- you would think the opposite, right? right. So that, that and that's that's kind of what <sighs> what fuels a little bit of the argument from yeah. people that are wanting to defund the police. Are like, well, you know, why are these you know, <laughs> right, old white guys that have got a pot belly running around? You know, why in the world are they allowed to be on the police force because they're more inclined to shoot you than chase you? And and there's no requirement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to see my dad right now. I get to see my dad pulling a gun out, <laughs> just shooting somebody because he didn't want to have to chase him. Uh, yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no requirement outside the academy to to stay physically in shape. It's all on you, um, right? And I think that that's a that's a failure of personal responsibility. And I'll just say it because something I always told myself, and I'm not I'm still not in the best shape. I'd like to be. I'd like to be in better shape. Just yeah, you should be in this job. Mm-hmm. Um, one. <laughs> The amount of stress uh, being a police officer or a first responder for that fact puts on your body uh, mentally and physically is enough to make you go into cardiac arrest. I mean, I think more or less, I think the average expectancy of a, a police officer after retirement is like seven years. That's mm. that's horrendous uh, due to some kind of cardiovascular. Uh, oh, yeah. Issues. You go from zero to hero so fast. So your, your body generally is not it's not made to go from zero to 16 all throughout the day. So, I mean, just to give you an idea, I can go from sitting in my, in my car, checking reports to, you know, getting dispatched to a robbery in progress, you know, guy with a gun, just robbed a bank, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be a little amped up. Right. <laughs> right. It's Cause you're good. So you're going from very low stress sitting in your car, probably drinking a cup of coffee, an energy drink if you're me, cause I like the energy drinks. Um, to going to something that you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know what you're going to deal with. You don't know all the information um, that puts a lot of stress on your body. So going back to the whole fitness thing, like I feel like why wouldn't you want to do that? Right. <laughs> Not only is it good for you, but it, I like to do it because it just keeps me a sound mind. Like 
I don't really do anything else. I don't build things. I wish I did. Um, I don't build things. I don't work on cars. It's not really my hobby. I, I like to go to the gym, mm-hmm. hang out with my kids, my wife, and I, and I work out at the gym. That's it. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's my go-to for stress relief, but it also is, it kind of fits that mold of it keeps you in shape too. You know, I mean, physically it's necessary. I mean, you get, you get so big. I mean, your equipment doesn't fit right. And if you're having to adjust your, your, your duty pants or your belt every month, it might, it might be an issue there. It gets you know? expensive, right? It gets very expensive. <laughs> but there's a little, you just cut a hole. You just pop right, another leather pocket. hole. Yeah. yeah. Leather hole tool. You know, never about had that, Jay. You got one of those tools. Yeah. Cause I, I'm running out of room on the belt. Like I got to go in so far because right. I'm so skinny. Yeah. That Johnny was making fun of me today because my, my belt was hanging over in front of my pants. I'm like, that's cause I'm just so in shape. Okay. I got segued there. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate that. Just a little levity for the, for the podcast. Right. I mean, it, it is such a deep conversation just in so many regards. I mean, you know, having to act, you know, and I don't have to do that. I don't have to draw a weapon on scene. You know, my, my job is to put the fire out or get the person out of the car or assist, you know, EMS or whatever it's going to be. But I still feel that. I mean, when we're rolling out of the barn headed somewhere, man, we are, you're amped up. Oh, yeah. We've got, you know, we've got stuff and you're trying to get your, your mental focus on right where you're like, okay. And you're dealing with, it seems like, I don't know about in a Metro scene, but out here we don't have details. Right. A lot of times we're just, we're dispatched to the wrong location first. It happens a lot. And so, it's and so we're, we're, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're driving West when it's the, the, mm-hmm. the accidents East. And so when we're trying to get all of these things together and trying to figure that out, what, what calming factor do you use? One, I guess working out does help that. And mm-hmm. I've been working out quite a bit lately too. And, and I do feel a little yeah. bit more mental focus, but at the same time, you know, how do you get yourself in check for something? You know, there's an active shooting, you know, I'm sure you've been in those situations. What do you do? So, I mean, the thing I've, it's kind of just from back from when I first started is that, and it was probably an old field training officer, you know, you need to, you need to set up a game plan prior to the call. So Basically, if you get dispatched to, like you said, a fire, you know, what kind of fire? Is it a structure fire? Is it a, you know, a brush fire? Um, as soon as that call gets dispatched, you need to start role playing in your head. What am I going to do on the way there? How am I going to respond? Am I going to respond to lines, you know, lights and sirens? Do I need additional resources? It's all game planning. If you're not game planning on the way to a call, you're not thinking it out. You're going to get there and be like, Oh man, I should have called for a medic on the way here, or I should have called for more, more units. So I think that's, what's helped me. It, if you can set yourself up for success on a call, it's everything on the call. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, the city I work in is pretty good about uh, the dispatchers will generally dispatch uh, fire and EMS to almost every call we go to just about, it seems like um, they won't go in until we secure the scene. <laughs> So sometimes it, it may be a while of fire guys waiting out, you know, block or two down the street and like, the heck are these guys doing? Are they just like right. sitting in their cars eating donuts? Like Jay said, you know, or are they, are they, are they hurt? Are there, are there shots going off? Like what's going on? Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of unknown on their part, but they, they don't, <laughs> they're not running in there with, with ballistic vests and guns on their hip. They have nothing. They have fire hoses and they have medical equipment. No, we've got some pretty nice axes. It doesn't do well against. Yeah. Flying bullets. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't really work well. And, you know, and unfortunately we do get dispatched into yeah. some of those situations where it is. Right. You know, a hostile scene and they've, they've called fire and then we don't have enough details <laughs> and we drive right into the middle of, yeah. you know, 
oh my gosh, we've got a hostage situation. Yeah. And I'm like, what are we doing right. here? Um, with that, I, I do want to get back to the the nationwide topic of, of, you know, our perception of police officers, but two, I want to walk through a, like a, a regular traffic stop. So I'm in town, you know who I am. I've probably got two or three guns in the pickup all the time. What does a person do? What is the best way for a, a pedestrian or somebody, a regular civilian to act when you're coming to the car? What should we be doing to make sure that the situation is not escalating? So even before the contact with that officer, he's, he's looking at the way you're driving your vehicle. Um, probably if that vehicle has been involved in the other prior incidents, stuff like that, 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 that kind of information that that officer is already making his assessment before he even talks to you, whether you're man, woman, whoever, um, compliance is everything. Like I tell people this all the time. And I would say this, if I wasn't a cop, if a cop asked me to do something, you know, whether it's put my hands up, put them out the window, drop the keys outside the door. I mean, whatever it is, just, just listen, like what, what, what are you gaining by being defiant? Mm-hmm. And so as a, as a civilian, that's what, you know, if I pull you over, I mean, most people know when a cop car pulls up behind you and turn their lights on, you, you pull off the side of the road. You know, if you have weapons in your car, you obviously know you have weapons. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. I assume everybody's locked and loaded. Right. That's yeah, already, my, already my assumption. Mm-hmm. If, if cop doesn't think that, then they're, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so obviously I'm walking up. I'm kind of watching where your hands are. Did you turn the car off? Is the car still in gear? Those are all indicators of kind of what I think your next move may be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not uncommon. I'll walk up if your car's still in drive and I can hear the motor still revving where it's not in park. Hey, can you put your car in drive for me? Keep your hands on the steering wheel, depending on if it's just, it's really dependent upon the interaction. Right. Uh, if someone comes off very abrasive, I'm going to be a little abrasive towards them. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's kind of a give and take. If you're very comfortable, Hey man, just, you know, have a couple of guns in the car. Cool. Where are they at? Right. I'm going to ask you where they're at. Are they secured? I may or may not ask you to step out of the car to separate you from your weapons. I may not. <laughs> it's right. just, it's all it's, it's really all on, all on you, but every officer has a different approach. I can't give you like a baseline. Every, this, every officer will do this. Every right. officer should do this. It's some officers get compl- complacent <laughs> and, and they'll have someone with a loaded gun literally in their lap and they'll see it and they'll be like, Oh, license and registration. This guy starts reaching for stuff and you're like, what are you doing? Right. You know, mm-hmm. it sounds crazy, but that's right. Like you said, cops are human. We're, we're subject to human error as well as anybody. And we get complacent because something doesn't ever happen. Now it may happen. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And going back to what we were talking about earlier is we were talking about the different professions and the, and the fact that there are some, you know, people make mistakes and the difference though, that, and this is something that that I really was trying trying to drive home in that conversation with with one of my kids is that all of those professions you there's only one of them that go to work every day with a likelihood of someone pulling a gun on them and and killing them or wanting to kill them. Right. All the other professions are just doing their you know they just do their deal, but you know a police officer or any any uh, law enforcement officer is always walking into a situation having to think, just like you just said, having to think, okay, this is a dangerous situation, regardless of who you pulled over. Right. And and that is, you know, that adds that additional bit of pressure where for some reason over the last, I don't know, I, I don't know if you can put a date on it, but 
growing up, there was none of this existed. I mean, yeah, there were there were stories about cops, too much force or whatever, but there was always a certain amount of respect for him. And and that has really gotten to the point where, you know, in in a certain piece of our population, that respect is not only gone, but it's it's converted into disrespect. And there, I think you like you just said, you have less problems when you're respectful with anyone. You don't go into a, 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 a grocery store and, and start yelling at the person who you're expecting to help you find whatever it is you need to find or, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is. And I just think that that the deterioration of that type of respect is really lending itself to the current situation of, you know, people just not only not respecting, but you walk up, they crack the, you see these videos all the time, you know, people crack their window. First thing they've got on is their phone recording you telling you they don't have to listen to you, their constitutional rights, all, you know, all the crap that they want to, what maybe they just want to get famous on, on social media for a few minutes or they really feel strongly about, well, I have rights and I don't have to roll down my window. But from your point of view, as an officer trying to help people on the road, this guy's done something wrong. You need to go through it. And I just really struggle with the, uh, with the side of the fence right now. That's really anti, um, anti being helpful to the police. Right. You know, the way I look at it is that the people that give me the most difficult time, that's my project for that time and being, um, if I can spit some kind of education towards them and just to get them to like, stop what you're doing, think about what I'm doing. Um, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes he has like that, that aha moment. Like, hey, you know what? I don't like cops, but this guy's actually trying to like, give me why he stopped me, why it's not safe for me to go 140 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone, whatever it is. Oh, hmm. is that a problem? I think it was Jay. Yeah. Uh, Gave him a warning that day. He was pretty cool. That's why I drive a Geo Metro. That's why he has a dozen donuts in the passenger seat next to him. But. Bribery. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, I mean, you, you you hit it right on the head. It's it's a, it's a respect issue. And I I will go back all day. I mean, I'm old school. I'm, I'm a young guy, I guess, more or less a millennial. But I still, I grew up old school. Like if, if I disrespected my parents, something was going to happen. You know, yeah. Some kind of level of discipline. Everybody has their own level of discipline, but something was going to happen. And you eventually either learn your lesson or you become disgruntled, even more disrespectful. But there's got to be a breaking point. Everybody has them. It's 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 I'd say it's almost kind of like a human condition. Yeah. Kids don't get their ass whooped anymore. No. Mm-hmm. no. Everybody's afraid to to discipline whoever it is, their employees, their kids. So now we're dealing with that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you have a feeling, a per, you know, just personal feeling on where that's coming from and, and, and what, you know, if you had to, if you had to kind of give us a nutshell idea of, of your thoughts on why we are where we are right now and in, in this country. I think, I think people just don't want to accept any kind of responsibility. I'm not going to say even just pieces of it. They don't want to express, they don't want to take any of it. Right. Um, if you have children, you have an animal, I mean, whatever it is, you have any additional responsibility besides your own self. They, people just don't want to accept that responsibility. Everybody's the society's problems are society's problems. They're not, they're not because of me, I had nothing to do with it. Right. Right. I think that's, I think that's the biggest piece that I would like to just like take home is that. Well, look at, look at, look at family sizes. Okay. And so I've, I find my biggest responsibility in life is to be a good husband and an even better father. Or vice versa, both 
both. The the hardest thing is is as family sizes have have started to dwindle, it's a selfishness problem, right? We're selfish in the fact that I don't really my lifestyle has become so busy because it's things for me that I don't want to have more kids. I'm guilty of that too because love having two kids. I think I would like to have four or five kids at the same time. I'm like, well, my lifestyle doesn't allow me to do that before it was let's have kids because that's what we're here to do. We're here to raise a family and we're here to bring up the next generation. And then we started to see that separation in society where we're like, well, we're not necessarily kid focused anymore. We're not, we're not, we're just more focused about who we are. And you said it really well that it's not a, it's not a me problem. It's a society problem, even though you are a part of society. We all, we know, we need to all equally take the responsibility to change what we can. The stuff we can't, you just can't. There's some stuff in society that will probably never change. That's just being a realist. I'm, I'm kind of a realist. I think that there's a lot of things we can do that we don't think we can. There's some stuff we just can't do anything about. There's always going to be that issue. So how does that affect your morale? I mean, how does that? That's uh, rough, man. I mean, anyway, we were talking about that yeah. earlier. I mean, how in the world do you keep a department, you know, encouraged to yeah. go out and know that that 99 percent of the guys that you and, and girls that you serve with put their uniform on the same way and they want to protect and they want to serve. That's why they're there. That's you're there for, for public service. But all you can do is turn on a radio station about, well, there's police brutality here and we're going to ban chokeholds because they're not able to, you know, all of these things are coming out. What, what are your, what are your peers telling you? What are you saying to them? How are you guys staying encouraged in law enforcement when the world is just out to get you? Well, I think it, everything, just like anything, it's, it's a, it's a perspective game. Everything is a perspective game. Um, my perspective right now is there's a lot of people, more people now that don't like us and don't support us. And that's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of people that do. Yeah. I think, I, I think you that's, know. um, and sorry to interrupt, but no, you're fine. I, it, it's like, a you know, we hear this all the time and I'm getting tired of hearing it, but the, the silent majority. Oh, right. Gosh. And, um, I think there, I am not silent. Uh, um, no, yeah. Unfortunately you're, you're though, there, there are a lot of people who, who do support the police. I go out of my way. I walk into a store, wherever I go, I'm always, um, you know, just, even if it's just a nod, like, Hey, you know, good to see you here or whatever, just try to, to share that because I know they don't get enough of it, but every now and then I stop and just pay attention a little bit and realize I'm not the only one doing that. I think we're surrounded by people who really do, <clears throat> excuse me, really do, um, respect, uh, law enforcement. And, but we're just the silent piece of this is, is, is real. We're not near as loud as this group or this movement or whatever, whatever we're, we're talking about here, but you, you know, take it from coast to coast. This movement is incredibly loud, but if you were stick them all in a room, it, it becomes, it becomes a lot smaller group than we think. They just are constantly out there, constantly making noise and constantly on the news. But if you gathered everybody else, and I hope that this is, I pray to God that this is the truth. You gather, you gather everybody else that is really opposed, you know, just 180 degrees out of phase with that movement, it would be an incredibly large group of people. And, you know, sometimes I think to myself, we should be a little more vocal in this because you guys have to go to work every day. 
and, and the support is helpful to go to work. I mean, everything, every, everybody wants support and everything that they do. So I really, um, I, I hope that, I hope that it, it changes because I think part of the problem is that people have gotten so beat up kind of, you know, over social media or whatever it is, but literally beat up by the other side, by this loud group that they kind of think, you know what, I don't need to get into this argument. In fact, I don't even want them to know that, that I'm on the other side because I don't have time for it. I've got a job. I've got a family. I'm not going to sit and get into these arguments or do these things, or I don't want them somehow aiming their vitriol at me. Right. So I'm just going to be quiet. And I can, the thing nobody can be there. And I put this on social media. The other night. Nobody can be themselves anymore. We're all living with this sense of, you know, anxiety, because if you're there and you're vocal about what you truly believe in, then you're worried about, I mean, we have a business with, with, you know, quite a few employees. Right. And we want to make sure that we are, we are here to serve what our product is. And at the same time, we want to do what's right to better our country. At the same time, if we continue to live in fear, because if we agree with one opinion or not the other opinion, that we're going to have somebody that's going to lash back against us. And I think that's why you have a silent majority now is because we live under, we're trying to live under a rock. Just, okay, 2020 is just going to get passed. I hate to say it, 2020 is not going anywhere. You know, if if we don't get in front of the issue, then it's never going to go away. It just doesn't just go out like the tide. Well, I, I think a part of that problem is there's not enough of, uh, discussion, right? right? Uh, I don't know when this happened, but it used to be, uh, it used to be pretty common to see people debate on television. There used to, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but me growing up used to, there was a Sunday morning show and I'd see it for like five minutes. Cause I was a kid. I didn't want to watch it, but, but I always remembered every Sunday there was this debate. It was a political debate. I didn't care. I didn't care about the politics. I had no idea what they were talking about half the time, but as I got a little older, I started paying a little more attention. And now I look back at that thinking, God, I wish that existed because it doesn't. It does not exist on television right now. You never have a debate of people, uh, you know, smart people who are taking their emotions out of the discussion and just debating the facts. You never see that anymore because it just becomes a yelling match. And usually one side's yelling more than the other. But the facts are just left completely out. And I think that that stems from this idea of don't talk about religion and politics. Kids are being brought up today. Don't talk about those two things. And I feel that um, I've told my kids the complete opposite. Be prepared to talk about both of those things, but be prepared to do it without emotion. Just the facts. Just, hey, let's just discuss it because maybe there is some sort of maybe. Maybe I don't know everything. Unlikely, but possible. <laughs> so if I'm going to have a discussion with someone and they're just, it's a calm, great discussion and I learn something, well, then awesome. That makes me a better person, right? But it doesn't exist anymore. It just, it is this, uh, if you're not on my side, then we are enemies and I'm going to yell at you and you see it on TV. Unfortunately, you you know, they're beating up people praying in St. Louis and they're, and they're throwing rocks at cops in New York and Chicago. And it's just, it really has, you know, it's sad, but getting back to my first point, I think there are a lot of people out there that, that are supportive. And, and, and I hope there are, I hope I'm right because I think you guys do an incredible job. 
I know it's a difficult job and I know, and I know this, I know the statistics show that the majority of law enforcement officers do a good job. They don't go out, you know, shooting, you know, target shooting every day. It's not, it's not a free for all out there. It's, it's ridiculous, but you do hear people on, on social media. You know, I, I heard somebody the other day, a college student was asked, how many, how many people do you think were unarmed and killed last year by police officers? And she, she struggled a little bit because of course she didn't know the number, but she, her first answer was thousands. But literally like she thought thousands of people had been shot by police officers in this country last year, unarmed. And it's like, wow, how do you fix that? How do you fix the, the attitude of people thinking that, that that's actually happening when it's not even 10 or 20? I tell you what, Danny. What kind of coffee did you drink this morning, man? I'm telling you, it just happens. It gets going. I right? mean, he starts to get rolling. And black I don't coffee. I don't disagree. Bison, you can get some smoke hammer in there. <laughs> uh, if 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 we can, well, I agree a hundred percent with that. Let's talk about your moral code of ethics, and what happens if you're in a scenario where it's riot patrol. And you are at a point where the state in which you live goes and says, you know what? It's a free for all now. What if you're in Minneapolis when, when the stuff breaks loose, how do you, how do you stay, I guess, in rank knowing that the call given is going to mean that innocent lives are going to be lost and property damage is evident. How do you, how do you do that? Because I think of myself, if I was a police officer and I'm in riot patrol and people get to the point that they're smashing windows out and they're, they're beating people up, man, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to start swinging for the fence. How do you, how do you check that? Well, I mean, it's everything you go to is situationally driven based on one officer safety. It's always, it's always paramount, but yeah, I mean, it. I wish I can give you a straightforward answer. I mean, I haven't been put in that situation. I don't, I don't work in a city that's big enough where we've had to specifically deal with those issues. But I would say we need we need we need an outpouring of support from our our government, our local government, our our national government. Well, it seems like it's not happening in the state right. of New Mexico. It's it's been no, tough. It's yeah. the opposite in the state of New Mexico. It's 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 it is completely unsupportive. And it's got to be tough too for your supervisors to have to go through that and know that hey boys we're standing down today they're gonna they're gonna tear through this or they're gonna do that and and the, the reaction we have is uh, frustration um, because this isn't what we signed up for right we didn't sign up for people to get beaten down and you know like I said in these riots or property just to get damaged with us not doing anything about it officers to get assaulted or battered and just be like well it's gonna be too much of an issue to deal with it let's just we're just gonna yeah. stand the line. Right. That's a, that's a, it's probably the hardest thing to would be as an officer. It's not what you're trained to do. Yeah. You're not, you're not trained to stand there and let someone commit a crime and do nothing about it. Let me, let me ask you another question, kind of similar, but the flip side of that is, you know, you have to stand back and just watch and, and we've seen it on TV cops just having to do that or literally being pulled out and just saying, Hey, just give it up, right. give up that area, let them take over. Yeah, them, Seattle. Yeah, take over the, the 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 precinct. I mean, it's like crazy. So, but you flip that a little bit, and what do you do when you're sent to um, confiscate somebody's weapons? 
in a state where they're legal and and those people used those weapons to defend their property you, against against a group of people that they felt, you know, they felt that they were in danger. It smells like we're in St. Louis. Maybe. <laughs> somewhere near. So but you're 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 the officer that has to go and you know, you've been told, hey, go do it. And you know that it's not, you know, that's not normal. It's that that is not what the law is written for. It's not those people were defending themselves. That was legal. You know, it's legal. But do you have, does, you know, do you have the information in front of you or is it just saying, listen, the, there's a warrant being served for this? A lot of times it's like that. It's so you don't know the backstory. Not always. Sometimes you do it. A lot of times, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, I'm thankful. I haven't personally had to deal with that aside from, you know, search warrants, stuff like that. Right. I've had to personally deal with that. I know that these person have, they have a very violent criminal history and there's a reason for it. Sure. Um, in that situation, I'll be very honest. Let's just go very basic. So in general, if there was some kind of order that they were wanting you to affect, whatever it was, whether it's taking weapons or say, we want you to enforce this. Me personally, aside from just being a cop as a human, if there's no law or state statute that allows me to do it, I don't feel good with it. I may even oppose it personally. Right. But, but understand by me doing that, that, that could be my job. That could be. That's my income right. to my family. Right. That's, so that's why it's, so, it's, so a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough deal. Yeah. I know, I, you know, in the military, you're, you, you basically swear to uh, following the rules. And part of following the rules is not following a, an unjust rule. You right. know, if somebody, if a, if a superior officer tells you to do something and you know, it's wrong, then right. you're not supposed to do it. So is there something, is there something similar within the police force or I mean, within law enforcement? There is, it's probably the unwritten rule, but it's, everybody has, there's a moral code. It's not say written down on a piece of paper. It's, it's, it's in all of us. We know, we know we're all taught it from, from birth, right and wrong. This is what's right. And this is what's wrong. The, the whole problem is though, and not just as police officers, it's, it's been skewed um, as, as humans. I mean, just look at the societal problems we're having now. It's, Right. You're right. Can always be right. If it if you want it to be right. And they said, maybe not even based on facts, it can always be right. Yeah. And, and there's nothing I can do to disprove you because you're right. I'm going to be right on my side too, instead of it being factually driven. Um, so going back to that, that's, that's why you're, that's why you're seeing, I mean, just nationally, thankfully I haven't seen it too much in our, our neck of the woods, but nationally you're seeing officers walk away from the job because they don't feel like they don't yeah. feel that what they're doing is, is, is constitutional. If, if you are a police officer and you've gotten to a spot where you are upholding the Constitution um, and you've made a call that was right and you're put out of a job, we've got a job for you. It might not pay the best and you might not get to wear a badge, but Danny's going. But we'll give you a gun and you can shoot, you stuff. shoot rabbits all day long. Right. I think what you take home is what's most important. At the end of the day, if you know you did what was right and there was nothing uh, legally that you were bound to do. If you know it was completely unjust, that's something you have to make that moral decision at that time. If you choose to just go with, you know, just go with it. You don't want to be against the grain. Like that, that could be a self check right there. That right, something mm-hmm. may be up. Um, it's rare that that happens. Well, and it seems like in some but, of these, you know, really big cities that the police chiefs are just it's a, it's a political move the entire time. And so, well, heck, the police chief in New York just took a took a bat to the head a couple of days ago and. I think they finally arrested somebody on that. And of course in New York, I think bail is 
zero. I don't know if they're still doing that or not, but so he'll be out anytime, any minute. But again, that goes back to the respect. How, how can I just, I, you know, I don't want to beat it to death, but I just don't get it. And it, it really, as a country, we really need to look hard and, and somebody needs to kind of put this thing in reverse because it's going, it's going the, the wrong way quickly. What do you see as the future with you in law enforcement? I do see some positive when we have to be long-term, we have to be optimistic in what's going on right now. There's, there is some stuff that can change for the better. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. I'd, I'd be very biased by saying that every police department in this entire country is doing everything hundred percent right. We're human. It's human. There's no one, no one is doing everything hundred percent right. We're, we're, we're imperfect human beings. We, we all make poor choices at some given time, professional or not. If you're a professional, majority of the time you're doing stuff right. And usually if you make a bad choice, it's not on purpose. It's just, you know, lack of training, just, in, you know, knee jerk reaction moment, whatever it is. But I do see us getting past this. I just don't, I can't tell you a date. I wish I could. That's the part that, that worries me is that this could be this year. This could be a month from now and we can move past it and it'd be something else. But it's got to be something that on the ground level that all of us we have to work together on it. The people that still care about this country, which is a majority of us. I'm not, I'm not that uh, far gone as an officer just because I've dealt with so much that I don't think there's good people out there. There's a lot of good people. I mean, I mean, people like you and your staff, like this has been cool. You know that we can all have a difference in opinion on what I do in my profession or just in general on politics, whatever it is, but we can all sit down and have a cup of coffee and, and, and it'd be nothing. Right. Like you said, if we're willing to have those sit down conversations and not be offended by your opinion, someone else's you know, opinion, whatever it may be, and just agree to disagree. I mean, like I said, I may be old school, but that's that's always been me. If you disagree with someone, fine. If you don't want to talk about it, then don't talk about it anymore. Right. And, and, and unfortunately, we've got this world that we live in with social media where people can be keyboard warriors and they right. can just completely berate people without getting punched in the mouth. Mike Tyson said it the other day. <laughs> And I mean, that quote was awesome. It's because people don't fear a, a repercussion. I mean, you look at, you know, having a business that has an online presence. I mean, somebody can get on there and just try to destroy you and, and with no factual evidence. Right. And so we get into the point where, you know, it, it's tough for people to be able to uphold who they are as a person when you're going to get, you know, berated. But at the same time for you, just a to, to have the backbone to sit down with us today has been awesome. And, and, oh, and to hear, um, the struggles that you go through, I want to say that we 110% support you. Uh, we support all of the police officers out there that are they're making a conscientious effort to make sure that they're not only bettering themselves, but that are bettering their communities. Um, like any industry, like anything, there's always going to be bad apple in the bunch. And, uh, and unfortunately, the way that the media has polarized us all now, there's not going to be an easy solution to this. But we do we do back the blue here. And we, we really appreciate you coming in. I've got a couple questions real quick. Sure. Um, first of all, what's your biggest fear? Mm. I mean, that's, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Not coming home to my family. That's, I mean, that's, that's everything to me. My family's that's, that's my go-to. I mean, I kind of discussed it earlier, but that's those people that I go home to those little humans. Yep. <laughs> They're cute little, ones too. Oh man. They, they, they keep me busy. Yep. But th those are the people that, I know without a doubt, no matter how bad day, a day I could have had or, or how good my day could have been, they're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a choice I have to make too. I have to always put them above the job in some way or shape or capacity, you know? Um, that's my fear. If, if I lost my family, that, that my family's everything to me. They mean a lot to me. So that's my motivational drive too, to be better in, in the profession. I mean, just as a, as a person, um, it, we're, we're gifted on this. I mean, you, you can speak from a more agricultural side of it, but as bad as everything may be right now, it's a perspective thing. You choose to be a very positive person, which I've always respected um, just with your with farming stuff and just everything. People you talk to, your your outlook on life. Um, we need more of that. We need more of those sit down conversations where it's difficult. But at the very end of it, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, my fear is not only obviously not going home, my family, which we every one of us does our absolute best every day to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that we may not reach that as a society, that it may get worse. That's another big fear of mine. Um, I like to be optimistic and say, we're going to get past a lot of things, but there's some stuff we're just not going to be able to reach a median on. People are always going to disagree. Uh, some, some areas may get worse than others, but I mean, we, we, we do have an ability every day to help each other out. Uh, there's no way <laughs> no one can tell me that we can't sit here and just have a conversation and just be like, yeah, man, you know what? I, I don't like you for what you do, but, you're a cool guy. You you treat me with respect. Respect is a huge word. Um, if we can get to the end of that conversation, I don't know how many times I've dealt with people that I've arrested for awful things. And at the end of that conversation, we're at the jail and they're saying, Hey man, thanks for being cool. And I'm looking, I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> I just took you to jail. <laughs> but if you can have it, if you can do your job and that's the kind of, that was the officer that took me to jail. He was a super nice guy. Like I, you know, he's like, I'm sorry that I've got to take you to jail. And I'm like, I'm sorry you're taking me to jail too, but he was super nice. Right. So, so my fear in all is, is that we may not get past that point. We may just become more and more driven to everything's very emotionally driven right now. Um, if we can't, it's okay to have emotions. It's a natural effect of being a human, <laughs> but if we can't harness those into a, something to be beneficial and where we can have productive conversations. Like what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Right. My last question is separating religious preference and a family member. Who's your, who's your hero? So like, like who's your biggest hero? Yeah. My biggest hero. Um, <laughs> I know you're a Christian, so it can't be, you can't be Jesus. Jesus. And you can't say somebody in your family. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I really have, um, I do kind of follow some CrossFit stuff. Like, I don't know, I guess if anybody's kind of, I follow like Rich Froning, he's, he's pretty big in the CrossFit world, but he's like, he's a, he wanted, he's what, a believer. Maybe one or two things. Yeah, He's won like four CrossFit right. titles, you know, but, <laughs> but someone like that, that yeah, I think really, I trained him. <clears throat> no, yeah. I didn't. I'll, I'll ask him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so he's faith-based. Yeah. Uh, it works out like an animal. And he has and, a, such a huge following and he's, he's stuck from the get go. He's stuck to his, his, his morals, his moral compass. And I think when you, you have someone like that, that's someone that's, that's a leader. It's not going to let, let the world dictate how they live. They're telling the world how they're going to live. And that's based on their belief and faith in God. And I think that's, I think that's cool. Yep. I don't walk the walk the way I should, but at the same time, I want to end this on a happy note. And I wanted to say a quick prayer for you and, and all of your officers out there. So I just want to say, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity for uh, for us to be able to talk with Office, Officer Austin. We just ask that you continue to guide and direct our, our law enforcement and that you protect them in their line of service. We ask that you heal this country and get us on the same page where we can start to respect each other and respect the conversation. Thanks for the opportunity. Amen. Amen. Austin, 
Thanks, man. It's awesome. Appreciate it. And it's getting hot up in here. It so is. with that, <laughs> episode one one Onse eleven Shigon. We'll talk to you guys next week. God bless. Mm-hmm.